0: For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K thrive.
2: Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Peter Barsum. He is co-founder and CEO of 1906. And we're going to learn a little bit about what they're doing in the cannabis industry, some interesting things they're really approaching this from uh, operations and production point of view in some interesting ways. We're going to talk to Peter about not only 1906 and their involvement in cannabis, but really kind of understanding what's going on in the cannabis space and kind of his thoughts and analysis on, on how the industry is currently structured. structured, how it might change as things go federally legal, and what people need to be aware of. It should be an interesting conversation. I'm always fascinated by people who are really taking kind of sophisticated looks at operational business processes and and really kind of thinking about this industry in the big picture. So with that,
3: Peter, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. Very happy to be here on this Monday with you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on.
2: So let's do a little background first. I always love to hear the story of what people were doing professionally, how they got into cannabis, how that all played out for them. Give us a little bit of the background.
3: Yeah, thank you. So I got into cannabis in early 2015. My wife and I co-founded the company. This was actually her idea. I spent 20 years or so on Wall Street in finance, left my role in 2014 and hadn't had much of a relationship with cannabis since college. So I had uh, used cannabis in college. And then post-college, I just found it made me paranoid. I didn't <laughs> like the, the effects of it. So yeah. I just thought, you know, not my substance. I met my wife. And she had been using it for creativity for it. She's, she's an artist. And as I got exposed to actually low-dose cannabis, because she would roll spliffs. And I learned mm-hmm. how to roll spliffs mixing cannabis with tobacco, I realized, okay, this doesn't have to be, it's the really potent THC that makes me paranoid and, and yeah. adverse consequences. And then that opened up a whole new door and awareness for how cannabis could be such a powerful force for, for health and goodness and, and happiness. And so we, um, we founded 1906 on the belief that cannabis could revolutionize self-care we could see that high functioning adults needed better alternatives to alcohol and big pharma as they navigate the demands of daily life and mm-hmm. we knew that cannabis could help but in order for the world to discover the plant's true potential as a daily tool for self care we'd have to transform much of the way people were experiencing it so that that's been our our mission since we launched
2: uh, and it was a, I'm curious coming out of your finance background you know kind of in, in other industries what I guess, what did you know that you were going to need to do differently or was going to be an adjustment for you going to cannabis? And what did you not know but ended up <laughs> needing to be an adjustment you needed to make? What surprised you?
3: Oh, I mean, it was, that it was a surprise at every level. So first of all, you know, I think you have to totally underestimate the risks and the challenges to get into this industry like if you have a realistic uh estimate of of what it takes you know you'd walk away yeah (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you wouldn't do it yeah no no you wouldn't do it uh you know this was back in in early 2015 i didn't have a background in medicine didn't have a background in in cannabis never lived in colorado i we moved from new york to colorado to start 1906 And we had this belief and this intuition that where much of the market was, was going in the wrong direction, that what most people want is not to get high or necessarily to smoke. And if you don't fall into those two categories, if you don't smoke or you're not interested in getting high, the array of products and solutions available to you are subpar. Most edibles taste bad. They're made with poor quality ingredients. Second, you have no idea how they're going to make you feel. And third, it takes way too much time to feel the effects. So why would you play Russian roulette with any substance? And, you know, our our theory was that if you could create low dose, controlled dose edibles that are fast acting and deliver a specific effect and that, you know, are part of a healthy consumption, that you could really transform the way people could use cannabis and i gotta tell you like when we first started and said hey this is our idea and we met with dispensary owners and bud tenders and others professionally in 2015 they told us we were crazy interesting yeah you know they were like so number one that can't be done you can't create something that is going to be fast acting and and be very specific number two the only thing that people want is high potency and cheap they just want you know all they want to do is get is get really high for as mm-hmm. cheap as possible. And that's all the consumer wants. Yeah. So I think, you know, you got to have kind of conviction there. Thankfully, you know, I had done well enough in, in finance where I could fund the company for the first couple years and know, you know, when everybody else is telling you you're crazy to do something, you don't, you don't want to take on outside money mm-hmm. until you can prove the fact that, okay, I'm, I'm not as crazy as, as, <laughs> uh, as some people think. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I I think the other thing that, you know, finance taught me is two other things I'd say, sort of resiliency, and also the importance of compliance and and regulation. You know, I worked in the most highly regulated industry in the world. Financial services is more regulated, pharma, than almost any industry. I had the Federal Reserve and the SEC literally sitting outside my door all the time, you know, because we had on-site people there. Mm -hmm. So, I learned from a long time ago the importance of partnering with with regulators and with other stakeholders. And so coming into a market where you had a lot of people who all they did is complain about regulation as opposed to learn how to use regulation that that wasn't as hur- that wasn't a hurdle for me as it may have been for others entering into the market. And then yeah. the second thing is the resiliency. you know part of uh, my roles in financial services were transforming what were, uh, old school credit derivative markets into uh, into a new market world, and those changes take time, and you have to be resilient. And so that that's the other lesson that I brought to the table when we entered into cannabis.
2: And so I'm curious when you we mentioned kind of the product opportunity, you know, I, I get how you can do low dose, but how did you approach the fast acting? I think that's like I, I, that seems like a bit of a challenge. Certainly, you know, doing it, you know, when you were doing it, I guess when you looked at that that kind of technical challenge how did you approach that what was the what was the strategy there
3: yeah so we had two big challenges you know one is around delivering a specific effect mm-hmm. and then the second is around is around fast acting mm-hmm. and you know pharma a big part of what people do in pharma research is they manipulate the dosing and delivery systems, right? Some Mm -hmm. things are extended release, some things are fast acting, so on and so forth. So pharma is the place where they understand metabolism, they understand kind of molecules, they understand how to make things faster or slower in the body. And we brought on folks who had a really strong background in, in drug delivery, and we started to develop our own techniques. And then we finally, we did some head-to-head tests of techniques we had developed, as well as techniques from a Canadian bioscience company that they had patented a technology there for lipid microencapsulation. Mm -hmm. And we ended up finding that their technology was superior. It delivered consistently under 20 minute onset time. We did animal study, we did an intestinal permeability study, we did a double blind clinical study, and then we did a pharmacokinetic study. So we did a lot of research to ensure you know that when we say it's fast-acting, it truly is fast-acting among among almost all consumers. Mm-hmm. And then, with respect to the the second part or the first part, which is around delivering a specific effect, yeah. The fact of the matter is, the research on the endocannabinoid system components of cannabis is insufficient to be able to say hey this set of cannabinoids or this set of terpenes can give you a specific effect. Yeah. yeah. But what we do know is that we have a long history of of other plant medicine and supplements in the tropics. And so we what we our innovation is to combine cannabis and specific cannabinoids with other plant medicines that work in concert together to deliver that specific effect. And that's kind of one of our hallmarks of of innovation. And and that took us years. So we started full-time on this in January 2015. We didn't launch the brand until January 2017. And we were working... Um. Full time in the lab formulations until we got it right to be able to launch our products.
2: So, I'm curious what you, once you world open up the world of other supplements, you can include cannabis within, you know, that's a pretty big area of research. Like, what was your process for kind of figuring out what you really wanted to focus on? What were the things that were really going to combine well with cannabis to create the product and create the effects that you were looking for?
3: Yeah, that was, you know, it was a lot of trial and error. So, we had to do a couple of things for the right team of people. So, we yeah. had a chemist, a pharmacologist, a ethnobotanist, uh, and a food scientist on the team because initially it was about, okay, we wanted to start with chocolates, because chocolates is the most loved flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had to get all those things right, the pharmacologist, the ethnobotanist, the chemist, the food scientist. And the first thing that we did is we said, okay, what are the different experience? What defines the effect that we want to have? And we looked at what are the major use cases that people are using cannabis for? And said, so, you know, there really are kind of seven of them. Energy, Sleep, relaxation, mental, you know, health and, and, uh, and well-being, sex, cognitive focus, and pain, right? Those mm-hmm. were sort of, that covered, that's not 100%, but that's a, you know, 90 plus percent of what people are using cannabis for. And then secondly, we said, okay, well, what defines an ideal energy experience or an ideal sleep experience? And then we started to work on what then is the right strains for cannabis, And what are the other plant medicines there? So I'll give you as an example, our Go product, which is one of our most popular products, and that's for energy. Mm -hmm. Caffeine is the best central nervous stimulant. It's the most widely used drug in the world uh, because it it works. It gives you, you you give most people caffeine and they get a, a boost of energy, but there's some negative consequences to caffeine. And so what we did there is we have a proprietary combination with three other plant medicines to adjust some of those negative side effects of caffeine. One is the jitteriness that you get. And L-theanine, which comes from green tea, when paired with caffeine, reduces that jitteriness. The second consequence is the crash. You have a cup of coffee, and then hour and a half, two hours later, all of a sudden, it's like you feel totally depleted and, and you have that caffeine crash. So, we use Alpinia galanga in a specific ratio in order to extend out the caffeine, and so you don't have that crash. Oh, interesting. So- And then the third is the ability to actually not have increased blood pressure and be able to push your body farther. So we use the abromine, which is a vasodilator, lowers your blood pressure, increases blood flow so that you don't feel so amped up. So then you get this wonderful combination of a energy stack of caffeine and those three other supplements combined with a low dose of THC and CBD in a one-to-one ratio, which allows you to bring that sense of calm and relaxation but with an energetic specific sativa strain. And then you have now this really clean source of energy that is much healthier than a taking a monster energy drink or a Red Bull. And, so, long story short, Bruce, like every one of our different experiences is carefully crafted in, in that sort of way.
2: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a beautiful kind of um, segmentation and really kind of figure out what is this that, what is the effect that we want to create? And then kind of thinking, use the pun, thinking outside the bud um, to <laughs> include some of these other, you know, plant-based solutions to kind of create a, a really unique product. How long did it take you to kind of dial in these formulations? Was it, did you have a pretty good sense from the beginning or was it a real kind of search
3: no no it was it was a real search and it it was a real search because it takes a lot of trial and error you come in with an idea then you've got to screen so many different plant medicines okay. you've got to make sure that they're efficacious, that they're safe, that you have a consistent supply of it, that it works well with cannabis on the endocannabinoid system. It has to be sufficiently potent that it works in one dose, right? There's a lot of great substances out there, vitamins and other things like that, but you have to take them you know, every day, for instance, in order to make them feel efficacious. And then the other thing, it's got to work in the chocolate and the yeah. flavor piece was very complicated. You know, there's a reason why most of the supplements we take, we take them in a pill or capsules because they taste like ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because <laughs> you don't want to taste them. We're trying to yeah. bypass the taste buds, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so trying to work on getting everything into a nine gram piece of chocolate that actually tastes amazing had its own set of challenges. So, you know, when we look back at it. I often my wife and I were who were doing a, a lot of work with our team, you know, there were many times we were like, boy, this is really hard and we don't know if we're gonna be successful at this or not. Like get this all to work.
2: Yeah. Uh-huh. And so tell us about the um, so the chocolates is where you started and now you're doing tablets. So tell us about that process. What was the thinking? How is how is that product developed?
3: Yeah, so we in January we launched our new product line that we call drops. These are pharmaceutical grade press tablets, pills that you swallow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we started the company, we always thought our view was the first question people should ask is, how is it I want to feel? And then secondly, how is it I want to consume? Do Mm -hmm. I want a pill? Do I want a chocolate? Do I want a beverage? Do I want a vape? You know, and the idea behind 1906 was to be experience first and then and form factor second. So people have a wide array of choices, depending upon what you're in the mood for a beverage, a chocolate, a mint, a pill that you have the same experience. And it was bizarre, to me coming into the Colorado and and, and the cannabis market as an outsider, and seeing why are so many people eating gummies? I'm not a gummy person. I'm not, you know, against gummies. But it's like, they're not that healthy. More often than not, they're not that tasty. But what is this obsession with gummies? And when we're thinking about cannabis as medicine, that's not traditionally the way in which we consume medicine. And why are pills only like three or 5% of the market? So I always found that bizarre that we call cannabis as medicine, but when we think about medicine, the way in which we traditionally consume medicine is in a pill and none of the pills out there were really good or worked or anything else like that. So also as Americans, we are pill poppers. We mm-hmm. bill billions of prescriptions a year of taking pills. And then particularly as you look at seniors, you know, they're taking more and more pills every single day. So we, again, kind of went in with a belief that, hey, how do we create a pill that people will, will want to consume as their way of, of consuming cannabis. And that took us three years to get it right because we had to get the formulation right. It's one thing when you have nine grams of chocolate and you can fit everything into a nine gram piece of chocolate or a peanut butter cup. Now shrink it down to you know a 650 milligram tablet and have multiple ingredients in there. It becomes a very complex tableting operational challenge as well. Pharma has it easy because usually they're just putting one molecule in there and then a bunch of different flow agents. We're trying to put in multiple active ingredients into a pill. Second is we wanted to destigmatize pills as well. Like there's a lot of anxiety when it comes to taking a pill. They're packaged in these awful plastic bottles and it can be, you know, anxiety-inducing taking a pill. This is cannabis. Cannabis should be fun. It's pleasurable. And so we we also needed to rethink the whole shape of the pill, what we call it. We put it in tins and then how to market it, how to market it to bud tenders and how to market it to consumers. So... We spent years working on that. We launched in January and it is, it has gone incredibly successful. It's now over 60% of our sales in are in the drops. Yeah. Um, it's taken Colorado by storm. And we just launched in Oklahoma About six weeks ago, and we're already, you know, fast on our way to becoming the number one edible in in Oklahoma in just under two months.
2: Yeah. And what do you think is driving the success? I mean, is this, you just, is this good strategy? Is it good timing, given what's going on in the world? What's your conclusion?
3: I think it's often success has many, you know, mothers, right? Mm-hmm. One was timing for sure. That people are more and more concerned about healthful ways of consuming cannabis. COVID is a respiratory disease and so yeah. there's more sensitivity about kind of the lungs. Yeah. Second is people understand a pill. Like they get it. Okay. Yeah. I take a pill, ah, it feels more medicinal, it feels more healthy, it's not so scary like a brownie or a chocolate or, or a gummy. And then third is we made it fun, like the bright colors, beautiful shape, a tin. So it has opened the way for people to reconsider cannabis. Even people who were reticent or afraid to use cannabis, all of a sudden when when you give it to them in a pill format, there's a sense of ease and a sense of like, okay, this is not as scary as as I thought. And then finally, the fact that it's gluten-free and allergen-free and calorie-free and so on and so forth, it's like... Why would I eat a not tasting high fructose corn syrup gummy? What I want to do is ease my anxiety. What I want to do is help me get to sleep faster. And normally I take a Xanax or I take an Ambien or I take a Adderall or Riddle. So the substitutes also, you know, remember we're not going after just the cannabis consumer. Exactly, we're going after. Yeah. So I think all those factors came together well.
2: Yeah. No, it seems it seems like a, a combination of of things that that led to some pretty good outcomes. So tell me, where are your products now? What states are you offering products in?
3: We are right now in Colorado and Oklahoma, and okay. we're about to launch Illinois, Massachusetts, Maryland, and and a few other states as well. So uh, expanding rapidly.
2: Yeah, and how are you handling? I'm I'm always curious for folks that are producing product that contains THC that are now you know working in different states. You know, obviously you you run amok with federal you know interstate commerce law or, or illegality of moving product between state lines how are you handling kind of you know the business the production operations to make sure that you've got consistent quality and packaging and all these things so that you're you can bring the same product to every state in in the same way
3: yeah first of all it's hard yeah and as i looked at and talked to many of my ceo colleagues who have brands and looked at how it is that they were expanding into new markets it was curious that what they all told me is that these licensing deals that they entered into, they sucked. That, and then when I talked to the operators who licensed a brand you know, from Colorado or California, they also said kind of the relationship sucks. So it's like, okay, there's something wrong here if both parties to a business model where it says, I'm a brand, I'm going to license and give you my SOPs and sell you my packaging the brand isn't happy and the local operator isn't happy either. So there's, there's something wrong structurally with the model there. And what we... Just for And this is where sort of like timing and and luck happens. It was now the middle of COVID. We're going to launch in Oklahoma at this time. We were capital constrained. And and normally, you know, in these types of situations, what you would normally do in these licensing deals is, you know, you train somebody else to make your product. We knew we didn't want to do that because our product is highly specialized. And so what we did is we literally packed up our Colorado tableting operation put it into the back of a truck, drove it 12 hours to Oklahoma, brought our people up, set up, took over about 750 square feet, set up shop. We literally worked 12 to 18 hour days for the first two and a half weeks. And we produced over a million tablets of all six of our experiences, packed up the truck and brought it back to Colorado and started selling in Oklahoma. And we thought, You know, this is enough supply that was going to last us for like the first three months or so. We literally sold out in four weeks. And so we realized, okay, our products work and this model bringing a mobile tableting operation could also work. So thankfully, you know, we had more investors come in. We spent money. And bought a whole second tableting operation that now sits in a truck. And we're driving it from Oklahoma. We just drove it back to Oklahoma. We're going to drive it up to Illinois. We're going to go out to Massachusetts, then to Michigan, then to Maryland. And we now have what nobody's ever done before. Because most people who are in tableting have enough money where they just set up you know multiple yeah. tableting operations. Or they can ship across state lines. So it's a mm-hmm. unique problem here. And rather than having to spend, you know, a million to two million dollars in every single state to set up new operations, really just for the price of gas, we can move from one state to the next and control our intellectual property, maintain our quality because it's the same 1906 staff. That's a yeah. really important point. Our people who are making these products and, uh, and, and because it's tablets, it's very efficient. We could produce 40,000 tablets an hour. And you don't have to worry about staleness like you do with gummies or chocolates, for instance. So I'm thankful to COVID for teaching us how to be really adaptable with little budget. And that's what's allowed us to create this amazing business uh, business model.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it's fascinating.
3: I guess, how much do you see this as,
2: you know, all these businesses, you know, in cannabis, you know, we're facing this issue of, you know, at some point, theoretically, <laughs> we'll, we'll have some kind of federal legislation change and we'll deschedule cannabis. You know, is this kind of a, a simple interim play for you until we get that legislation and then you can you can set up a primary production facility and ship to all, all the states you want. Is this um, I mean, do you envision actually having multiple production centers, you know, closer to these markets? I'm curious on how this kind of strategic uncertainty or this future uncertainty is playing into your strategic plans.
3: Yeah, you know, so first of all, I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, yeah. Obviously, um, when let's look at the history of the end of prohibition and alcohol, which is mm-hmm. you still had a patchwork of state laws that still exist to today. In Pennsylvania, yeah. you know you have to go into a, a government-run liquor store. You have to use distributors now for brands. They don't need to produce, you know, Kentucky whiskey in in fifty states. So uh, that hasn't affected the manufacturer. But I'm very concerned about the fact that we have now created a class of serious moneyed interests for whom keeping up state barriers is critical to their business model, right? Just like we get 97% of our almonds from California, why should we be cultivating cannabis in the middle of Massachusetts when Colorado, Oregon, forget even Colorado, Colorado, Oregon and California could probably provide all the cannabis that the entire country needs. Yeah. But but if you're one of these large multi-state operators and you just spent thirty million dollars to build out a cultivation facility in Massachusetts, your desire to actually have federal interstate commerce is pretty low and you may end mm-hmm. up because politics runs on money, you know, spending money to lobby to prevent a really great outdoor California craft grower from selling cannabis into my market in Massachusetts. So, I think it's it I think it's screwed up because we're we've created like I said a set of moneyed interests who could be Diametrically opposed to what consumers and what's good for the public
2: yeah yeah it is it's a fascinating kind of conundrum we're in in terms of how things have played out and then how it's going to affect you know the development of, of a national market federal market
3: yeah I mean if you were to look at all the truly uh, Cresco cureleaf and you said, hey, what happens to your business model if yeah. the price of cannabis is at five hundred dollars and not four thousand dollars let's say mm-hmm and i bet you many of those companies could not exist
2: there's just not enough margin to arbitrage against these the different markets
3: yep and so so we have to ask ourselves sort of as an industry you know, and, and say, okay, what are we what are we creating here? And is federal legalization going to be possible? And who's going to fight for it?
2: Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's been interesting to see how it kind of plays out. And obviously, with the election coming up, it's even more kind of uncertain uh, around <laughs> exactly what's going to happen when. Yeah, you know, as you look at these different markets, is there any market? I mean, because you know, each one is such an experiment. Is there any market that you have been most interested in that you think has got something that's doing it right or doing it differently in an interesting way?
3: Yeah, you know, I love the Oklahoma market. I I can't imagine I would have been saying this seven months ago. (laughs) (laughs) And people look at me like Oklahoma, and it's a fascinating market. So, you know, one of the, as red as it gets in terms of states, Uh one out of 10 Oklahomans has a medical marijuana card. Yeah. That That is higher than anywhere else in the country. Yeah. Third is that they've they've created a free market there. It also goes to show you what happens when you combine sort of libertarianism Mm -hmm. uh, and um, and cannabis. You have a lot of products, a lot of access. Patients, you know, are not stymied from being able to access their cannabis. You have, you know, low prices. And I think what's going to be even, get a lot of this, it's a bigger market than Illinois or Massachusetts is as adult use markets. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, it's a fascinating one.
3: Market size, it's huge. Now, watch what happens next year when they start to allow non-Oklahoma residents from getting a medical uh, marijuana card. Bingo. Yeah. And that's why, we, you know, we look, it's going to be a long time before Texas does anything. But if you can just drive up, you know, from Texas to Oklahoma, get a medical marijuana card on the spot, you know, you're going to see Oklahoma is going to be a massive market. Um, yeah. So there's something to be said about the ingenuity and the creativity of Oklahoma as a boom and bust state, you know. And I think they're 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 going to be uh, the feeders to uh, all those surrounding states.
2: Yeah, it's it's clear that they're they have a a geographic, a strategic advantage or opportunity here to to really leverage the fact that they've got a couple of states nearby that can they can uh, pull pull customers from.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and that are unlikely to yeah, you know pass on their own. Yeah, pass it on their on their own. So yeah.
2: So I'm I'm curious. What's on your strategic plan for 2021? Anything? Is this is continuing expanding the operations. What's your focus? Where do you Where are you taking the company this coming year?
3: Yeah, we look at it in kind of two core dimensions. One is geographic expansion. We get hundreds of emails a day from people saying, "You know, when can I get 1906 in in this state or or in that state?" Um, we have. Patients and consumers recognize our products as products that work that have helped them get off of Ambien or Xanax or no longer have to suffer poor sleep or be able to connect with their partners more. And the demands of daily life and stress is just... Increasing so, so we are committed to bringing 1906 to more and more consumers. Our strategy is to focus eastward. We want to be the number one brand east of the Rockies. And with our capital strategy, and now that we're cash flow positive, and the fact that we'll be profitable, you know, after a lot of hard work, uh, the wind is at our backs there. And then the second thing we're focused on is on new products. We are first and foremost an innovations company, and so we've got a number of products in the pipeline. We're working on a extended release version of our number one best-selling product, Midnight, because there's a whole class of people that have trouble staying asleep, not just falling asleep. And nobody's addressed that, neither in pharma or anywhere else. And uh, so in the first quarter of next year, we're going to be launching another sleep product that that we think will be uh, really beneficial. We are working on a product specific to women's menstrual health, and we're working on a number of different pain products that will target specific types of pain, as opposed to just a more general kind of, uh, pain. So we're still super busy in the lab, Bruce, making yeah. up new products and and bringing that combination of cannabis and other plant medicines to to help address some of the other needs that that people are looking for.
2: That's great. I'm excited to see uh, see the new products that come out and and hear about the expansions, Peter. If people want to find out more about you about 1906, what's the best way to get that information?
3: You know, follow us on Instagram. You know, we're very active that way. So our Instagram handle is at 1906 New Highs you can always reach out to me. My personal email address is peter at 1906 com.
2: Great. I'll make sure that information is in the show notes. so People can click through, get that. Peter, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Uh, look forward to hearing how things play
3: out and I appreciate it. Real pleasure to have this chat with you.
1: You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.